friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. to go to God's Word at this time, so can you please rise from your seats? Let's take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, and let's read verses 12 to 16. So the count of three, let's all read together aloud. One, two, read. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this wonderful time that you've given us, O God, to be able to worship you. Thank you for warming our hearts with your presence. And we thank you, O God, that you have redirected our thoughts, our minds, our focus on you. And rightly so, because you deserve all the glory, praises, and thanks. And right now, we pray for alertness of mind and heart as we listen to your word. May we pay attention closely to what the word of God has to say. And may we heed your commandments. May we heed your words. Lord, let there be no hardened or disobedient heart this morning. We pray, O God, that we will all receive from you. And I pray for myself, O God, you know my weaknesses. Please go beyond the weaknesses of your servant so that I can speak to your people clearly. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Give me boldness that I might proclaim your word without compromise. Lord, whatever is going to be achieved today, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Marching Orders. Let me share to you a little bit of testimony. Some of you may not know uh, this particular part of my testimony, so I'd like to share a little bit about it. Uh, Sometime back uh, in 1985, I recall vividly that time, I was called upon by my pastor to help out a church here in Cebu. I was based Uh, In Manila at that time, I was about 23 years old. My wife was 21 years old. And what had happened was uh, my pastor had a previous visit to Cebu, and the people in that church were very blessed with him. And so they thought that maybe it was about time to get a full-time pastor. At that time, they still did not have a pastor. They were inviting guest speakers every Sunday And they thought to themselves, it's now about time that we get a full-time pastor. So I was not actually the original choice, but there was 
a brother there who was an elder of that church who happened to be a Cebuano. And so he said to the elders and to the pastor that I would be a good fit in Cebu. So to make a long story short, they decided to send me and my wife at that time. And so it was quite difficult because when I came here, I just realized that I was going to serve people who were much, much older than me. In fact, the elders who were serving at that time happened to be professionals, businessmen. I recall there were two doctors uh, in the board. There was uh, an owner of a hotel. Uh, there was somebody who managed a bank. And there was somebody who owned a factory. So you could just imagine the kind of feeling that I had at that time because I had to deal with these people. And of course, I was intimidated by the fact that I was very young and they were very accomplished people. And probably I was thinking at the back of my mind, they're probably thinking, what can you offer to us? How can you serve us? And probably they were probably thinking, why did... Why did the pastor send a green horn? Why did the pastor send somebody very young? And so again, this was what I faced way back in 1985. But it's, a, it's, a, it's been about how many years? About 34 years already, and I'm still here. So obviously, I have survived. And we will come across, let's give the Lord a big hand. I mean, he deserves all the glory for that. And so I'd like to share to you a story, or rather a passage of Scripture, wherein the person that was being admonished in this particular passage had a similar story. But allow me, first of all, to give you a historical background just so we can appreciate this particular passage that we will be studying. Now, you and I know that in the book of Acts, it ends with the story of Paul landing in a Roman prison. He was under house arrest. And the story ends abruptly. There was no conclusion, so to speak. And so if you just simply read the book of Acts, you're probably wondering, well, what happened to Paul? What happened to him after his arrest? Well, actually, if we go into the historical books and also do a little study of the Bible, you and I will find out that Paul actually was released from that first Roman imprisonment. Sometime in AD 61 and AD 62, he was released. And so what happened was he was able to continue on in ministry, and so he was traveling around, and one of the people who actually helped him, of course, was Timothy. And so he decided he would plant Timothy in Ephesus. And so that was where Timothy was being assigned. Now at that time, the church was the church of Ephesus, and this church was having some problems. Persecution was beginning to intensify, and not only that, there were now false teachings that were entering the church. And obviously Paul was getting worried because he realized there was a possibility that he would be re-arrested once again. And so the question is, who will strengthen and establish the church? And of course, in his mind, he was thinking of Timothy. He was thinking of passing on the baton of leadership to Timothy so that he could strengthen and establish the church. However, there was a problem. 
There were some people in that church who thought that Timothy was very young. Actually, he was just in his 30s. Now, in our day and age, that's not too young, right? But in those days, when you were in your 30s, you were considered very, very young. So Timothy was facing the same problems I had way back in 1985. So he was intimidated. He was scared. He was sort of pulling back from ministry. In fact, if you read the whole of 1 Timothy, there is a tone by which you somehow understand, you could read between the lines, that Timothy actually wanted to quit the ministry. And so again, this was something that obviously worried Paul because, again, if he were to be rearrested, who was going to take his place? Who was going to establish and strengthen the church? So Paul was wanting that Timothy be able to step up to the plate. Now, again, as we take a look in this passage, you're probably thinking, well, does this concern me? Because obviously Paul was talking to Timothy, who was also a pastor. And so the question is, does this relate to me? I'd like to be able to tell you that this relates to us. Obviously, what Paul communicated to Timothy trickled down to the congregation. As we do a little study of this particular passage, you will realize that it is relevant for each and every one of us. Because while you and I may not be called by God into full-time ministry, or you and I may not be called by God to be pastors, you and I have been called by God to do something. And it is our gift that determines our calling. Now, I don't know exactly how God has gifted some of you, but the Bible declares that each one has received a gift from God. Now, some of you may be gifted in mercy. That's a spiritual gift. Some of you may have been gifted by God in administration. Some of you may have been gifted by God in the area of giving. Some of you may have been gifted by God in the area of teaching. Now, again, I don't know exactly what God has given to you. But you have a responsibility to employ whatever gifts God has given to you as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So again, the principles that we will find here actually applies to us. And is it possible that in the task that God has assigned to you, you're somehow feeling intimidated or maybe you feel tentative or you're hesitating and probably you're thinking, well, what can I offer? I'm so inadequate. I'm not really that skilled. I'm not trained well. And so we may come up with all these excuses. But then again, let's remember, if God calls you to do something, He will equip and He will empower you. You know, I take inspiration from many stories in the Bible. For example, if you take the case of David, who was David? Well, David was merely a shepherd, right? But later on, God promoted him, and what happened to him? Well, he became the king of Israel. So from shepherding the flock, he now shepherded a nation. We also find the story, of course, of Joseph the dreamer, and we know what happened to him. He became a slave, then he landed in prison because he was framed up. But right after his imprisonment, guess what happens to him? He becomes prime minister of Egypt. 
And then there's the story of Esther. Esther was an ordinary girl living a very ordinary life. But then something happened in the kingdom. Uh, the king had deposed his own wife. And so now he was looking around, he was shopping around for a new wife. And guess who became queen? It was Esther who became queen at that time. So you see, the amazing thing is that God often uses weak people, ordinary people. And the reason why He does that is because He wants to glorify and honor His name. And this is something that we need to be reminded of. One of the purposes of God for our lives is to bring glory to His name. So if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling inadequate, if you're feeling that you're unskilled, you're not qualified, well, let me tell you this. God can change it. God can turn it around. He can equip you. He can empower you. He can promote you. The important thing, however, is to find out if you and I are willing. The question is not so much whether God is going to use you. He will use you. The question is, are you available? Are you willing to be used by God? Now, in this sermon, we will find three things. And let me just point it out to you on the screen, so I'm going to pull back a little bit. And let me just show to you what to expect in today's sermon. All right, three things, actually, three major points. And the first major point is the pastoral attitude and decorum. If you want to make it applicational, we can come up with a question like how to behave, and that is found in verse 12. Two things under that which are very important, don't let anyone belittle you. Can you say to your neighbor, don't let anyone belittle you? All right, that's a very important principle. And then second is you need to show yourself an example. Again, uh, talk to your neighbor and say, show yourself an example. All right. We go now to the second point, which is, which is pastoral duty. And then making an application in it, we can come up with a question, what to do? All right. And under that, you will find the one common denominator. It's the scriptures. So here we find read scripture, exhort from scripture, teach from Scripture. We need to gather around the Word of God. That's how we live our lives. And then we go to the last, which is pastoral determination, how to continue, which is found in verses 14 to 16. And there are three things under that. You need to use your gift, you need to develop your gift, and you, you need to monitor and persevere in your life and teaching. So basically, those are the three major things that you and I will be talking about. So let's dive in quickly right now to the first point, which is pastoral attitude and decorum, how to behave. Let's read once again verse 12 at this time. It says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Now, there are two admonitions here. First of all, don't let anyone belittle you. Now, there are a host of reasons why you and I are not up to the task that God has given to us. One is probably there are some people who are belittling you, and they're putting you down. They're talking down on you. They're not encouraging you. They're not very inspiring and so probably because of that, you're sort of pulling back, you're hesitant, 
you're not willing to do anything at all. That was exactly the situation of Timothy. People were belittling him because of his youthfulness. At other times, it could be a lack of credentials. You don't have those Ds, those, those titles after your name, and probably thinking, some, prior, probably thinking that some people are, are saying in their minds, well, why should I listen to you? You don't have those titles. You're not qualified. You don't have those credentials. And again, friends, listen well. This is an opportunity for God to glorify His name through you. God somehow enjoys. He delights in using people who are weak. He delights in using people who feel inadequate. Because that way, God is able to glorify and honor His name. It could also be that people are not impressed with you because you don't have the charisma or you're not wearing fine clothes, you're, you're not wearing signature clothes. And so people are probably belittling you. And maybe on the other hand, it's, it's your appearance. You're insecure about your appearance. And so you're thinking, well, what could I possibly offer people? How can I serve people? And again, this could... This could be applied in practically every aspect of your life because where God places you, that obviously is where God has called you. You could be a businessman. You could be a manager. You could be an employee. And that happens to be the place where God wants you to serve. And God has given you certain gifts so that people might somehow recognize that God is in you and is working through you. And in that manner, as they recognize that, who knows? They might somehow listen to the merits of our faith. You can share your testimony. As you're able to show yourself a good example, as you're able to show the skills that God has given to you, you might be a blessing to them and they might start listening to you. Again, you have to begin thinking positively. Do not let anyone belittle you. Now, Paul likewise was going through some struggles because there were negative perceptions about him in the church of Corinth. And we see some of those as found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, and also 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 6. And so let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10. And here's what it says. For they say, referring to Paul, his letters are weighty and strong, but... His personal appearance is unimpressive, and his speech is contemptible. Now, you know what was happening here? He was actually being compared to uh, the Greek orators, and he was not as skilled as they were in the matter of oratorical skills. And so people were belittling him. They were saying his, his presence was not impressive, the truth of the matter is, according to historical books, he, he didn't look like a very handsome person. They say that he was very short. He was bald. Hello. <laughs> he was bald. He had a crooked nose. They say he's ugly. I mean, that is as far as some historical accounts are concerned. And so if that was true, then probably that was one of the reasons why people were belittling him. And they were not listening to him. And this was really sad because in the first place, it was Paul who actually planted the church. But time had passed and somehow they lost their respect 
for Paul, not because there was anything wrong with Paul, but there was something terribly wrong with her hearts. Now take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 6. Again, we find some negative perceptions in relation to Paul. It goes, but even if I am unskilled in speech, notice this was an accusation against him. He was not skilled in speech. Yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. So again, the question is, how did Paul overcome that? How does one overcome the fact that there may be some people who are criticizing you? There, there may be some people who do not like you. There may be some people who do not want to work alongside you. They, want, they don't want to partner with you. So what do you do? What do you do in those cases when you know, in fact, that God is calling you to do something? Well, two things, I believe, that help Paul so that he was able to fulfill his calling. The first is this. Paul was never intimidated because he knew he had a divine calling. He knew that he had a divine calling. Where do we find this? Take a look at Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, but when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me, through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. So there are some phrases here which are very clear. It says, it was God who set Him apart. And then it says here, it was God who called Him. And then it says here, so that, here's the purpose, so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. So there's one thing in the mind of Paul, I'm called by God. This is not something that I, I appointed myself into. This is not my self-appointment. I have a divine appointment from God. And this is something we need to hold on to, cling on to. Just as a little testimony, you know, in, in my years of ministry, again, I've been here for about 34 years. There have been many, many challenges if I would describe myself, I would probably describe myself as a battle-weary, battle-scarred warrior of God. I've gone through many wars. I've gone through many battles. I've gone through many difficulties and obstacles. And the truth of the matter is there were actually times when I was tempted to quit. There were times when, in fact, I was thinking, what if I go back to my secular work? What if I go back doing what I was doing before I became a pastor? I was working in an advertising agency. So those thoughts were filling my mind. There were times I was thinking, should I continue on? Should I move? Should I leave? These were questions that were haunting me during those times. I mean, during those times, the, the dark clouds were hovering upon my mind and upon my heart. I was despondent. I was frustrated. And, and I needed a lot of encouragement. So the question is, how did I overcome? Well, the thing that caused me to overcome, the thing that caused me to persevere and endure was the fact that I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God had called me into ministry. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, I knew that God had called me to minister here in Cebu. And so if you ask me, where do I want to die? 
well, I want to die here because as far as I am concerned, this is home for me. Amen? This is home for me. And again, it's not by self-appointment. It was by divine appointment. And so here's my question for you. Have you thought about what calling God has placed upon your life? Because Peter is very clear. He says, each one, say each one. Bible says each one has received a special gift from God. And it is your gift that actually determines your calling in life and your calling in church. And so the question is, have you ever asked the Lord about what gift you have? And it's something that's going to be made clear by the Lord to you. Why? Because He wants you to fulfill His will. And one of the things we want to hear, brothers and sisters, at the end of the day when God takes us home are these words from Christ, well done, good and faithful servant. Now my question for you is, are you confident that when your time is up, when God takes you home, that He will be able to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Now we all want to hear that. But we won't be able to hear that unless you and I fulfill our calling. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, you have a divine call. You have a divine appointment. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the full-time workers. It's not just the elders and the deacons of the church. Each one of us has a specific call. And as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, we have got to fulfill our call from the Lord. And what's going to cause us to persevere, continue, and plod on is the knowledge that God has called us. But there was another thing that helped Paul survive those difficult uh, criticisms. Paul was not a people pleaser. He was a God pleaser. Now, where do we find that? Take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, here we go, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. You see, we have two choices, actually. Either we please men or we please God. Now, some people can be very insecure. They don't have any confidence in God. So what are they looking for? Well, they're looking for applause. They're looking for admiration. They're looking for people to acknowledge them or pat them on the shoulders and congratulate them and applaud them, clap their hands on them. They're looking for that. And when it doesn't come, they get disappointed. They get frustrated. Why is it that people don't appreciate me? Why is it that people don't admire me? Why is it that people don't even acknowledge what I have done? I don't even receive any thank yous anymore. And so those things bother us. And if we're people pleasers, we will become frustrated. We will become tempted to quit. We will be tempted to quit. And you know what? It's not good. Because we have to serve an audience of one, the only one person, the only one significant person that we need to be looking to to please is God Himself. 
Because He is our Creator. He is the one who calls us. He is the one who blesses us. He is the one who gives us every good and perfect gift. And because He is the be-all and the end-all of our lives, we are to please Him and not men. This is the reason why Paul survived. I recall what Pastor Edmond Chan shared to us in the class that uh, he was teaching in New York. He said there are two phrases that are very important for me. And the first phrase is, I know. The Lord knows. And the second phrase is, I don't care. So this is how he has lived and survived in ministry. The first thing is he is thinking to himself, the Lord knows. The Lord knows everything. The Lord knows your heart. The Lord knows your call. The Lord knows what you're going through. The Lord knows your weaknesses. The Lord knows your strength. The Lord knows how to implement justice. He knows if you're being treated fairly or unfairly. The Lord knows. And so if the Lord knows, then there's nothing that should worry us. Amen? So which brings us to the second phrase, I don't care. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care whether people admire me. I don't care whether people are grateful. I don't care whether people appreciate me. This was the mindset of Paul. He didn't care at all what people were thinking or what people were saying about him. As for him, there was a task, there was a call that had been assigned to him and he was going to be faithful in fulfilling the call that God has given to him. Dear brothers and sisters, let me ask you, do you live to please people? Do you live to be admired and to be appreciated? Do you live so that people could applaud you and pat you on the shoulder or give you a medal or give you a trophy or a plaque of appreciation? Is that what you're looking for? I'm not saying all of that is bad. We do need to be able to show our love, our care, our appreciation, our admiration to each other. But friends, don't expect it to happen all the time. See, sometimes... We think the whole world owes us. It's like the whole world is revolving around us and and we have this motto in life, make me happy, make me happy. Well, let me tell you, you will be frustrated. If that's your attitude in life, make me happy, well, you won't be happy because not everything you want from people, not not everything you want in life is going to happen. Some of it will happen, some of it will not. So the question is, where do we find acknowledgement or affirmation? Well, we we need to find it from God. God is the one who gives us honor and glory. I recall one psalm which says, promotion does not come from the east nor the west, but from the Lord God Almighty. Amen? And to Him alone we look. Amen? He alone is whom we please in our lives. Amen. We should allow God to be the center and the focus of our lives. So aside from the fact that we are not to allow people to belittle us, what do we need to do? Well, we need to show ourselves an example. And that's what we find 
in the next uh, phrase here. It says, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So one of the ways we can counter people's negative impressions on us is to conduct ourselves in a manner that is God-honoring and God-glorifying. And these are some of the things that Paul uh, shares to, to Timothy. First of all, we need to excel in the matter of speech. The primary focus here in the Greek is upon the content of our speech, the content of our communication. The Bible says we need to season our speech with salt. Now, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that you put some salt in your mouth when you start talking? Obviously, that's not intended to be applied literally. So what exactly does that mean? Well, salt is a preservative, right? It's a preservative. So when we speak, the question we need to be asking ourselves is, when I speak, do I preserve unity? Do I preserve harmony? Am I able to bring about reconciliation and restoration? Is that how I speak? Friends, you want to find out how, how spiritual you are? Well, here's what you need to do. Listen to yourself. Maybe record yourself even. And as you listen to yourself, you will know exactly what kind of a person you are because the Bible says, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if there's hatred in your heart, guess what's going to come out of your mouth? Angry words. If you're a lustful person, guess what's going to come out of your mouth? Lustful words. If you're a materialistic person, guess what's going to come out of your mouth? It's going to be money, 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 money. Those are the things that will come out of your mouth. So you want to find out what kind of a person you are? Well, it will come out. You just have to measure, so to speak, what's coming out of your mouth. And that's why Paul was saying, you know what? You can earn the respect of people. There's a study that has been made. It takes seven years for people to start trusting you. Now, that applies in church. That applies when you're in a company. That applies when you are joining yourself to an organization. It takes seven years be before you can earn the respect of certain people. And so how do you earn the respect of people? Well, one of the ways is the way you talk, the way you speak. That's going to earn respect. But aside from that, it says conduct. The, Greek, the Greek's apparent focus here is upon overt daily behavior. Let me ask you a question. If you own a company or you're a manager or a supervisor, what is one of the things that you look for before you hire a person? One of the, one, what is one of the first things you're looking for? You know what you're looking for when you want to employ somebody? Track record. That's the reason for references. That's the reason why uh, prospective employers would call your previous job employer and they will ask, how was this person? How, are his, how was his work ethic? How is he when it comes to relationships with people? And, and, and what does he do? Is he a person with foresight? Is, a person, is he a person who is a visionary? Does he have leadership skills? Those are the questions that are being asked. 
You see, the problem is, if you're the kind of person who's lazy at work and you keep on hopping from one job to another, you're just in a job for a few months and then later on, you, you land another job, you stay there only for a few months and then you transfer again, you land in another job. What does that tell about you? Well, that says that you are not a very stable person. That basically tells the, the employer that you're not a, a, a very stable person. You're, you may be very emotional. And who would want to hire an unstable person? Who would want to hire an emotional person? Who would want to hire an irresponsible person? Who would want to hire a person who keeps on jumping from one job to another? That's why, friends, we earn the respect of people with our conduct. And so the question we need to be asking ourselves is, how are we conducting ourselves? This was what Paul was sharing to Timothy. You know what? They're belittling you. Well, show yourself good in the matter of speech. Show yourself good in the matter of conduct. And here's another thing, love. The Greek word here is agape, the which the focus in the Greek is upon love and affection based on deep appreciation and high regard. Let me ask you this question. How many of you like talking to old people? Those who are in their 70s and in their 80s, raise your hands. Let's be honest. All right. Those who are above 60 are saying they love talking to people who are in their 70s and their 80s. Let me, let me share to you a little observation I have made. I've noticed that there are some young people, and not, not so young people at times, who would shun away from older people. And the reason is probably because the older person has this tendency to repeat the story over and over again. Probably there's, you know, there are some gaps in memory already. And so the story is repeated over and over again. And so some people shy away from them. But you know what? If we are going to be loving, then we need to be able to show some compassion and kindness, most especially to people who have been marginalized, people who are neglected. And that's why when it comes to older people, I do take the time to talk to them. When, when it happens that I'm situated uh, with them, I don't, I don't immediately, you know, move away from them, but I spend some time, I talk to them, and I listen to their stories. A lot of times, I'm not even talking, I'm just listening to their stories. And they're, they're just pouring out their lives to me. They're just pouring out their memories to me. They're just pouring out those stories. And you know what? When you do that, you show love. You show compassion. And you know what? That is going to be valued by the people whom you show love to. And I recall this old lady, she came up to me one time, and she said to me, Pastor Mel, my husband loves you very much. And of course, that already warmed my heart. But of course, at the same time, you're, you're thinking, well, why, why does he love me? And this is what he said, you are like the son that he never had. You are like the son he never had. And what did I do? All I did was 
just sit down whenever I see him and listen to his stories. Allow him to pour out his life. Allow him to pour out his memories to me. But that was something that he valued. And we need to ask ourselves a question. And you know what? How, how do we know we're Christians according to 1 John? The Bible says that we are known by our love. And so if there's no love, that's not genuine Christianity. Because if you want to look at a perfect picture of love, we find it at the cross. Jesus Christ died for us. And who were we? Were his, we were his enemies. We were, we were rebellious against Him, and yet the Lord Jesus Christ poured out His life for us who were rebels, who were His enemies, and He reconciled us to Himself, and He has given us salvation on the condition, of course, that we come to Him and make Him our personal Lord and Savior. All our sins are covered, past, present, and future. They're covered by the blood of Christ. Now, that's love. And because we have been called into this love that God has given to us, we are to dispense that same love that we have experienced. And the next thing here in the list is faith. Faith speaks of trust, reliance, and confidence in God. Now, why, why was Paul saying to Timothy, you need to display faith? You know why? Because he was being timid, because he was pulling back, he was being hesitant, he was fearful, he was worried. And let me just tell you this. You cannot fake faith. People will know if you are a person of faith. You can talk about faith. You can preach about faith. You can talk about reliance on God. You can talk about trusting the Lord. But you know what? People will recognize if you are really relying on God. People will recognize if you really have trust and faith in the Lord. And, and Timothy was not showing it at all because he was being timid, because he was being fearful. Now, let me ask you this question. How can you even teach about faith when you don't have faith? You can't talk about trusting God when you don't trust God at all. People are actually more discerning than we give them credit for. People can discern whether you have faith or not. And so Paul was saying to Timothy, you, you know what, Timothy? You're not walking in faith. You're walking in fear. You're walking, you're walking in a manner that is not God-honoring and God-glorifying. You need to display faith in your life. Then he talks about purity. Purity means to be without moral defect. And to have a pure life you need to have a pure heart. That's why, again, friends, the Lord knows. Go to the book of Revelation. What is the phrase that, it, that always comes out there? The Lord knows. I know. God knows. And so the question is, do you have a pure heart? Because we can fake it. We can put up a, a spiritual facade before people, and people can think we're fine, we're all right, when we're not. But we need to be pure. That's how we earn the respect of people. Paul was saying to Timothy, you want respect? You want respect even though you're young? Well, this is what you need to do. You need to excel in these things. And after sharing that, we find Paul segueing into pastoral duty, what to do. And let's take a look this time 
at verse 13. Verse 13, please. It says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Everything here is about Scripture, by the way. First of all, it says read Scripture. It means to read something written, normally done aloud, and thus involving uh, verbalization. And the question is, why, why even include this? Aren't Christians supposed to read the Bible? Well, let me tell you, a lot of Christians right now don't have a daily meditation of the Bible. Some of us meditate on Facebook posts. That's what we meditate on. And friends, that's not good for our spiritual health. Jesus Christ said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And so we do ourselves a great disservice by not reading the scriptures. Why do you think we let people stand up when we, when we are about to do the preaching? Why do we read scripture itself? Because we're sending a message that this is central to us, that we need to gather around the word of God. Because the words that Jesus speaks, they're powerful to change our lives, to empower us, to inspire us, to encourage us, to build us up, to edify us. We need to gather our lives around the Word of God. Then it says, exhort from Scripture, which means to cause someone to be encouraged or consoled either by verbal or nonverbal means. There are some pastors who are slayers, and when they preach, it's like hail, fire, and brimstone all the time. And I'd like to say there's a proper place sometimes for that kind of a preaching, because sometimes people need to be rebuked. Sometimes people need the shock effect so that, you know, they, they wake up from their spiritual slumber. But if you do that all the time without encouraging people, then... It's not going to be good. It's not going to be balanced as well. That's why here Paul was saying, you need to encourage people, those who are in pain, those in suffering, those who are going through adversity. That was a very encouraging post. Uh, there was this lady who was suicidal. And she was about to commit suicide until she heard the preaching of my son, AJ. When I was in New York, my son, A.J., took my place, and she heard the preaching of my son. And she came, came out with a post. I was about to commit suicide until I heard this preaching. You know, sometimes preachers are not sensitive. You know, when people come here, people sometimes come with their baggages. Sometimes they come with their heavy loads. Sometimes people come here, they're depressed. Probably they just lost a job or maybe they're having problems in their marriage or, or maybe a kid has turned rebellious. Or maybe they're having problems with relationships. People come here and, and, and they're looking for answers. They're looking for, for solutions. They're looking for encouragement and inspiration. And if preachers and pastors are not sensitive to the Holy Spirit, if they do not allow themselves to be instruments of God, they may be just hitting the heads of people, but they may not be hitting where it needs to be here in the heart. And again, I, I'm thankful for Scripture because in Scripture we find so much encouragement, the promises of God. 
the, the titles of God, that He is a covenant-keeping God, that He is a provider, that He is a healer. Oh, those things encourage us and build us up. And we need to hear that. And where will you hear that? You, you won't hear that on TV most of the time. You won't hear that when, when you're watching a movie. You won't hear that when you're, when you're in the mall. You won't hear that when you're in the beach. Where do you hear genuine words of inspiration and encouragement? You will hear it in church. You will hear it here because the Word of God is being preached. The words that God speaks, they are spirit and they're life. They're the very things that would truly bless us. And then we need to teach from Scripture, the Bible says, to provide instruction in a formal or informal setting. This tells us the proper place of doctrine in a pastor's ministry. Some people say, don't talk to me about doctrine. Really? Well, what is doctrine? You know what doctrine means? It's just teaching. And what does the Bible teach? The, te the Bible teaches you how to be a good husband. The Bible teaches you to be a good wife or a good child or a good citizen or a good employer or a good employee. The Bible teaches us anything and everything about life. So why shouldn't we dive into the Scriptures? Why shouldn't we read and meditate on the Bible? If it's going to help us. Amen? We need the Bible. We need to gather around the Word of God. Not just on Sundays. But every single day. And finally, here we find the pastoral determination on how to continue. As found in verses 14 to 16. Let's, let's read this. Verses 14 to 16. It says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Three things we find under this heading. One, you need to use your gift. It says, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. As mentioned in our introduction, Timothy was very tentative. He was no longer using his gift. He was, he was pulling back. And Paul was saying, Timothy, don't do that. Use your gift. God has given you a gift. You need to use that. And there are two reasons why he needed to use the gift. One... It says here, it was divinely appointed as proven by prophetic utterance. Notice the phrase which was used here, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance. In other words, Paul prophesied over him, or maybe an apostle prophesied over him and said, God is calling you to be a pastor. Well, that's all you need, the call from God. And it's not like, you know, Timothy was a legend in his own mind. It was not that he was hallucinating that God had called him into the ministry. No. It was affirmed by certain people. Take a look at, at the, not, in the next phrase. It says, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. 
So there was affirmation. There were other people who were saying, you know what? what? What Paul or what this apostle prophesied about you is true. We agree with it. You really have a gift. God has really called you. Again, let me ask you this question. Have you been neglecting your gift? You know, there are two bodies of water in Israel. We're about to go to Israel in, in November. You have the Dead Sea and the River Jordan. What's the difference between the two? In the Dead Sea, even today, uh, some people have themselves immersed in water, and sometimes they get tickled because there are a lot of fishes, even as they go through water baptism. You go to the Dead Sea, it's dead. In fact, it's so dead so full of salt that you can actually float without making an effort. Even if you're not a swimmer, you cannot sink in the Dead Sea. You will float. That's how it is. But the question I would like to ask is, why is it dead? Because one of the characteristics of the Dead Sea is that it does not have an outlet. So all the salt goes into that body of water, and that's why the fish cannot survive. The River Jordan, however, has many outlets, and that is why it is teeming with life. Isn't that a wonderful illustration of how some people are? Some people are like the Dead Sea. They don't have any outlet. They just live for themselves. Everything is about them, I, me, myself. You die spiritually that way. You want to live? You want your spiritual life to have vitality? You need to be giving, not just grabbing. You need to be giving. And you cannot be giving if you're not using your gift. Now, here's the second thing you need to do. You need to develop your gift. It says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that, there's the purpose statement, your progress might be evident to all. Take pains in the Greek means to practice, to continue to do, to cultivate. It also says, be absorbed. Now, in the construction in the Greek, it appears to be essentially synonymous, reinforcements of one of the other, and it would appear to fully justify combining these expressions as essentially having the same meaning. So the question is, why do that? Why be redundant? For emphasis. Paul was emphasizing, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to be absorbed. You need to take pains. And that's what we need to do. We need to be absorbed. We need to grow. Some people ask, why do you still need to go through the Expositors Academy? Why, why have a continuing education? Well, let me ask you a question. Can you exhaust the wisdom of God, yes or no? I want to hear you. Can you exhaust the wisdom of God, yes or no? You cannot. So there's always room for learning. There's always room for growing. That's why we should not stop learning. Listen well. The moment you stop growing, you start backsliding. Let me repeat that. The moment you stop growing, you start backsliding. That's why the hunger must continually be there. The thirst for the Word of God must continually be there. The appetite needs to be there. 
You know how some people die? Some people die of anorexia. Now, what is that? They lose their appetite. So what do they do? They stop eating. Now, you and I know our body needs nourishment. And if you stop eating, your body will not be able to survive. And that's why, notice, the Lord Jesus Christ would always use terms that talk about appetite. If you're hungry or if anyone is thirsty, why do you think he was talking about that? Because we need to have spiritual appetite all the time. We need to be growing constantly. Now, not only that, we need to monitor and persevere in our life and teaching that's found in verse 16. It says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Pay close attention to means to be in a continuous state of readiness to learn of any future danger, need, or error, and to respond appropriately. To pay attention to, to keep on the lookout, to be alert, to be on one's guard against. Why do we need to do that? Gordon MacDonald wrote a book which was very nice, Ordering Your Private World. But then, he did not practice what he wrote in that book. He fell into adultery. Guess what? He writes another book, Restoring Your Broken World. He did not have to write the second book if only he followed the first book. But you see, that's what happens when we don't pay attention to our hearts. What does Jeremiah say about our hearts? The heart is more deceitful than anything else. It is desperately sick. Who can guard against it? And that's why, friends, again, we need to be very careful. We are to persevere in constantly growing in our spirituality and in our understanding of doctrine. Why? Because the devil is out to destroy us. Do you think is, I recall one sister, you know, she, she had a skewed view of, of Satan and, and she felt that the devil was oppressing her. And, and so, you know what she did? She prayed to the devil and she said, devil, have mercy on me. Oh, let me just tell you this. He's not going to show any mercy to you. The thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. You don't pray to him. He's our enemy. He's our adversary. And that's why we need to grow. Now look at the following phrases here, which are in the present tense imperative. Do not anyone look down. Show yourself an example. Give attention. Do not neglect. Take pains. Be absorbed. Pay close attention. Persevere. Now, what do you think these are in the Greek? They are in the present tense imperative. Imperative means it's a command. The Bible is not giving you an advice. The Bible, Paul was not giving Timothy an advice. He was charging Timothy, this is what you need to do. I'm, I'm your commanding officer being your supervising pastor. And I'm telling you, Timothy, this is what you need to do. You need to follow this. And not only that, it's in the present tense, which means it's not a one-time thing that you do. You need to do it every single day of your life. So let me close with this. Do you know your gift? Do you know your calling in life? Do you know your purpose? And would you like the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of your life to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant?
If you want to hear that, you have to determine, first of all, what's my gift? And whatever is your gift is actually your calling. Here's what you need to do. You need to fulfill your call for one simple reason. Our greatest commander-in-chief, God, is giving us marching orders. This is not just for Timothy. This is for all of us. Amen? Amen? Let's give the Lord a big hand, please. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you and bless you for this morning. And we thank you for the charge that was given by Paul to Timothy because we are able to glean inspiration from the Word of God so that we know that you are also speaking to us. Lord, we repent if we have not used our gifts. We repent if we have not fulfilled our call. And we ask, O oh God, that you might be merciful to us and that you might open our eyes, open our hearts, make us realize where we have gone wrong, and may we set things right. Let your goodness and favor and love be upon us, O oh Lord and allow us to dispense that to others as well. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the word. We thank you that we could give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And Lord, would you be so kind to bless us, not because we're greedy, but because we want to bless your name and partner with you in the extension of your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand.